Good morning. If you'd like to open your Bibles up, take them out and turn to the book of Thessalonians. We'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians 5 in just a short while. As you're doing that, I'd like to thank you and welcome you to the Lake Street Church of Christ. Thank you for choosing to be here with us. Those of you who are members here, you're always a great encouragement to me. And one of the things I'm most thankful for this morning is this great pew of young men that, have, that are sitting with me and joining me uh, as we sing these praises to God. It always encourages me so much to have uh, the, the, to think about the youth that we have here. Uh, it is a, a great blessing uh, and a, a strength that I believe that uh, is something we should be very mindful of and very thankful for. Those of you who are visiting with us, very thankful for your attendance with us. If this is your first time here, I encourage you to take out a, a uh, visitor card from the pew in front of you and fill it out. We'd like to know more about you and get to know you better. And also know how we can help you to serve you in your walk with the Lord. Because that is our desire here. As Joe started services off this morning uh, in announcements, our desire here is to praise our awesome God. We have an awesome God who has done awesome things for us, and we want to give Him our lives in service to Him, praising Him, magnifying Him, because He has done so much for us to love us, and we would like to show others that love as well. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, the book has been about what God's love has done for these people in the, Thessalonian, uh, in the city of Thessalonica. The church there of the, uh, the Thessalonians is a church that has been greatly affected by the, the love of God. It has had a great influence in their lives. And I want to read with you the first 11 verses of chapter 5. That's what we're going to be focusing on. Uh, and after we do that, we really need to think about the, the whole of the, or the entirety of the message to really see what Paul is saying to them here. So let's begin verse 1 of chapter 5. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day will overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do. But let us be alert and sober. For those who do their sleeping do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Paul's message here to the Thessalonians is you don't need to be told when Christ will return. seems to be that that's the question that people have longed for since the, since the first coming of Christ. When is He coming back? When is His return? We want to know. We want to know what it looks like, what it's going to be like, when it's going to happen. Paul says you don't need to be told. In fact, that's not his purpose here in chapter 5 at all. He's not telling them what to look for. We talked about that in chapter 4. He's not telling them this is what it's going to look like. This is what you need to look for. He's telling them there is hope. That is in the return of Christ. There is a great hope there. That day is coming. So be ready and continue to work towards that day. And so as I said, we need to remember what he said thus far in the letter. And he begins opening the letter talking about what God and the love of God and the knowledge that they had of God had done for this congregation. 
So far, he has said, you Christians in Thessalonica are hard workers. You have shown your great faith and your love and your hope, and you did it at a time when it was not easy. You suffered affliction. People were were hard on them because of their faith in the Lord. The the city of Thessalonica is is steeped in pagan culture. There's lots of, of idol shops that are there. There's lots of temples that are there. They were taking from these places. They were taking customers that would originally go and they would worship these gods. They said, no, we're not going to do that anymore because we have learned about the one true God. It's had an effect and it seems like the city doesn't like them. It seems like the the Jews there don't like them. The Gentiles don't like them and they're suffering greatly. As we've already pointed out several times, Paul is thrown out of the city very early on when he comes to work with them. And yet, despite all of this affliction, he said, you're still hard at work and you're growing. You're not shrinking. You know, oftentimes when we face hardships, it causes us to just kind of step back. And, and when, when we stop working, we start, uh, we, we start shrinking. We, when, you start, uh, when, when the body starts acting, stops doing the things that it needs to do to survive, you see muscles that begin to atrophy. They begin to shrink and get weaker. He says, that's not happened here. You all are facing really hard things, and not only are you growing, everyone else can follow your example. Thessalonians had moved from a place where they needed to imitate others to now other people needed to imitate them. They needed to try to do the things that were going on in Thessalonica. And he says so many good things are going on here, but he challenges them not just to, to look at what they've done and, and, and pat themselves on the back. He says, no, challenge you to take the things that are right I challenge you to take the things that are good in Thessalonica and channel them into something that is greater for the Lord. He tells them, take your love, take your faith, take your hope, take your your dedication to the Lord, and take it to the next level. Excel still more. That's what he tells them to do. And I want to talk more about that this afternoon. This afternoon, I hope that that you have the opportunity, I hope that you will come back to to hear the lesson this afternoon because it's all about how at at Lake Street, as individuals, as a congregation, how can we excel still more in 2020? Because we've had an amazing year in 2019. We saw some amazing things happen in 2019, and I believe 2020 can be just as amazing. And we can continue on to grow and to press forward So that people will look at Lake Street and say that is something that we need to imitate. We need to try to be like that group over there to the glory of God. And it seems like that's what's happening at Thessalonica. There is really good growth going on here. There's really good things happening. And you all don't need to stop. You stay on top of this and you ride this wave and you keep pushing. But it seems like maybe there were some things that were going to hinder that. And so Paul addresses them. It seems like maybe some of the things that were standing in their way was this misinformation. It's like, well, things are going good, but what about our brethren who have died? They're going to miss out on the return of Christ. What about them? We don't know about what's going to happen in their lives. And so Paul writes to them in chapter 4, talking about the saints who have passed away, and he reminds them, you know what God did for Christ. That God did not leave Christ in the grave, but rather He raised Him. That's what your faith is is built off of, the knowledge of the, the resurrection of Christ defeating death. So that you can defeat death too. God will not abandon you in the grave either for those that belong to Christ. In fact, you will be raised up to join the saints that remain and together you will be with Christ forever. And so now in chapter 5, he's kind of closing out his his look at all this 
with the, showing them this is what life will look like. If you rise to this challenge to excel still more, if you rise to the knowledge that Christ came up from the grave, and so will you, to live with Him forever. This is what your life will look like in light of these things. And he starts with the return of Christ. And notice the first thing he brings up about it is you don't have to be told because you already know that it's coming like a thief in the night. What he's saying is Christ's return can't be forecast. I'll tell you what, that people have tried to foretell the return of Christ really since the day that he left. They were already trying to say, this is when it's going to happen. It's already happened. All, so many things that were coming up. And people are saying, I think this is the date. I think this is when it's going to happen. And the accuracy of all of these uh, forecasts have been zero. Paul says you don't need to know when. You don't need to know when it's going to happen. You don't need a sign like like. Jonah gave to Nineveh 40 days and then Christ will return and the world will be judged and destruction will come upon the wicked. You don't need that. He said, you don't need to know when He's going to return. Why? Because you all are sons of light. And sons of light aren't going to be caught off guard. They needed to live their lives as sons of light in light of the return of Christ. And he's going to tell them a little bit in this chapter about what that means. He says, number one, that means that you live soberly. You live soberly. You live having your mind about you. And now we, we could take this into so many places, and I think rightfully so. We could talk about alcohol. And we could talk about drugs and substances that affect and control the minds. And the truth is, if, if we are living a life today that is controlled by alcohol or drugs, if we're living a life today where our minds are affected by substances that cause us not to make wise decisions, cause us not to make righteous decisions, we're not living soberly. We're not living prepared. But brethren, we can also say the same thing about minds that get caught up in worldly things. If we live worlds today, if we live in a world today where our minds are constantly controlled and, and, and constantly focused upon things that are not on Christ, if our jobs take all of our mentality, if our jobs take all of our focus, if our hobbies get every... Uh, all I ever think about is, is, is maybe what I want to do next in, a, in, in my wood shop or, or going back out on the trails and getting out into the woods. If that's all I'm ever thinking about, if our hobbies, if our jobs, if our families are the only things that our brain is ever focused upon. Our sports teams, our television shows, we could go on and on. There's so many things that can cause us not to live soberly minded. And that's because when he says soberly minded, he's talking about people who are prepared. People who have their minds about them. We're going to keep using his illusion, or his illustration, I should say, of a thief. He says the return of Christ is going to be like a thief. And if you know the thief is coming, you don't go to sleep, you don't get drunk, you get prepared for the thief. If someone came and said, Kyle, there's going to be somebody come and break into your Jeep tonight and steal your stuff, I would have been sitting at the front porch all night long waiting for him. I would have been watching, and I would have been waiting, and I would have been prepared because it's coming and I want to not be caught off guard. He says this is how sons of light act. You know the Lord is, re is returning. And so you live soberly. You live prepared lives. And He contrasts them as people of the day. 
not people of the night. He says people of the night, people who are in darkness, they act in sleepiness, drowsiness, drunkenness. They are unprepared people. But Christians have been warned. Christians believe the warning to be trustworthy. So that means they act differently. They behave differently. There's a picture of this in the Old Testament that I want us to think about. And that is the picture of the children of Israel in Egypt. During the the ten plagues that are happening, Moses has come to Pharaoh and he says, God has said He wants you to let His people go. And Pharaoh over and over again is saying, nope, that's not what I want. I'm not going to do that. And he brings all these plagues. And finally, at the tenth plague, he's going to bring the death. The the angel of death is going to descend upon Egypt. The, The death of the firstborn is about to occur. And a warning goes out to the Israelites. This is how you prepare And they took that warning to heart. They acted soberly with that warning by covering their houses in the blood of the Lamb. By dressing differently. Do you notice when you you go back and think about that and you read that, they were to stand prepared to leave. They had their staffs in their hand. They were dressed. They had eaten their meals in haste because the, the angel of God is coming and we are going to be freed from our slavery and we're going out of here. We're going somewhere else. So these people acted differently. They dressed differently. And friends, we have to likewise be like them. We have to be ready. And we're to be clothed differently. I want us to know, prepared people behave differently and that means we dress differently. What does it talk about in the New Testament? How we dress. Number one, it says that we're clothed in Christ. We are dressed in the blood of the Lamb. To put on Christ in baptism and be be covered by His blood for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can stand before God and He will not see our lives, He will see the life of His perfect Son that we have hidden ourselves in. But notice how He talks about it here in 1 Thessalonians 5. He doesn't bring up any of that. He says, how are you to dress? You put on armor. Put on breastplate of faith and love, the helmet of hope and salvation. He's saying these people, sons of light, they're ready for battle. They are dressed. And, and, and yes, that means they're, they're ready to fight at a moment's notice and to fight the right way, to fight to, to, to win over hearts, to fight to break down these, these thoughts that people have that are, are controlled by Satan, that are leading them away from God. We're going to try and, and make sure that our minds, we're waging war with our own minds and our hearts to make sure that our understanding of God is right and we're following Him and we're going to help others do the same thing. But more to the point, I believe, in what Paul's talking about here, you remember in chapter 4 when he talked about the return of Christ? He said, The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we talked about that last week. And that's the picture. That is the picture of a return of a king. The king would come into the town and they would blast the trumpets and herald the call. The king has come. And he's saying when the king comes, he's going to find his soldiers Wearing his armor. Not the enemy's armor. You're not dressed up in the enemy's battle gear waging war against him. He said the sons of light are people that are dressed in his armor. What's his armor look like? It looks like faith and love and hope. Paul reminds them then of something that is so very important for us to know today. And for us to try to help other people learn as well. Something that probably doesn't get talked about enough. He reminds them, you guys are not destined for wrath. 
You are not destined. Verse 9, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you talk to anyone, if you talk to a Calvinist, if you talk to someone who believes the, the teachings of John Calvin, Calvinism, that idea that, that they believe that, that, that there's nothing you can do. There's absolutely nothing you can do to play a part in your salvation. If you play a part in your salvation, if salvation depends upon you in any way, that makes your God a failure because He's not able to do it without you. He needs you to be a part of it. That's what the Calvinistic doctrine ultimately teaches. But they take this passage and they say, you know what this means? He's talking to the Thessalonican Christians. He said, you guys aren't destined for wrath. But that means everybody else in Thessalonica was. They'll take a passage like this and they'll say, this means that God has picked certain people to be saved, but everybody else, He's left out. And I want us to know that there is something in their belief that's not entirely wrong. And that's what makes it so dangerous. Satan is so good at taking truth and just twisting it a little bit. What did he do to Eve? What did he say to Eve? Whenever she said, this tree God has told us, we will die. He said, you will not die. I'm going to take just a little bit of this phrase and twist it to make it right, uh, or to make it wrong, but make it still sound right. There are things about their belief. One is that the Christians in Thessalonica were chosen. I know they were chosen. How do I know they were chosen? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4 says, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. So what does that mean? Does that mean that God chose these Christians to be saved, but everybody else was, was just left to be condemned to hell for eternity? I do not believe that to be true at all. But what we need to understand to get to the bottom of what's being said here is not really who was chosen, who wasn't chosen. It's how were they chosen? How were these choice brethren picked out by God? Well, let's continue to read. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5, what does he say very next? After saying, we know you've been chosen by God, beloved uh, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. Verse 5, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you, for your sake. Verse 5, he says, the gospel came to you. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus' life. The good news of the life of Christ, His death, His resurrection came to them. And it wasn't just words. It came to them with power and conviction through the Holy Spirit. They believed. Chapter 2, verse 1, he continues that same thought. You yourselves know, brethren, our coming to you was not in vain. Why was it not in vain? What did they do at their coming? They preached the gospel, and it wasn't a waste of time. He says in verse 2, after, after we had already suffered and we'd been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. So he tells them the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ who lived on this earth, who died and was raised from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins, was preached in Thessalonica and people opposed it. People fought against it. People tried to stop it. And yet it wasn't a waste of time. Because there were those there 
Well, we'll, we'll continue reading. Verse 13. Let's, let's read that first. Verse 13 of, of chapter 2. He says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So why was it not a waste of time? The message of Jesus Christ was preached in a world full of darkness, in a city that was that was filled with people who who loved themselves, who loved other gods, who loved money, who loved sex, who loved all sorts of things that that should have railed against this message, and they believed it. Not as just the words of, of some great men, as the words of God that was able to change their lives, and they responded to it. You know what that tells me? That tells me that God sent people into Thessalonica to save all of Thessalonica. Who was chosen in Thessalonica? The whole city was chosen. The world has been chosen to hear the message of God. Why then does He call these brethren chosen specifically? It's because when the call was given to them, they answered the call. They made a choice. And it's not that God said, it's only them that I want. He gave the call to the rest of the world, to the rest of Thessalonica, and they made a choice too. And they chose to ignore that call. They chose to ignore that message. And so many people will do that today as well. So many people have done that today as well. Why is it important then to answer the call of God through the preaching of the Gospel of His Son? Why is that such an important thing that that message go out and the message be received? It's because of passages like 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. Because God does not want anyone to face His wrath. He did not create you so that He could destroy you. God did not create you saying, my destiny for you is eternal punishment. That's what I want. He created you and He has every desire that you be saved. That's why we read John 3.16 and know that it says God so loved just a few people so He sent His his Son. God so loved the world. God so loved the world. It's an entirety of His creation that He longs and desires to turn from their choices to turn against Him and to sin and to look at His Son and to be saved through His blood. That is His desire. That is the destiny of all mankind But for so many, they're going to turn away from that calling. They're going to turn away from God's choice of them to their choice of this world. Of the things that make them happy. The things that please them. What Paul is telling these Christians is you didn't do that. You heard the Gospel message. You believed it, not as my words. You believed it as the Word of God. You believed it when it said that Jesus came from heaven, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died for you because of your sins, and God didn't leave Him in the grave, but raised Him up on the third day. And today He stands for you to make intercession for you, to to hear your prayers and take them to the Father, and one day to be your advocate in the judgment, standing between you and God's wrath. 
And what Paul is saying here is, guys, that needs to change our lives. His death changes the way we live. His death also changes the way we die. His point is whether you're alive or you're dead, we are one day going to be together again with Him. When those who have died will raise from the dead and we will forever stand with Christ. And he caps this whole message off with a statement that tells me this information is actionable information. We need to do something with it. It's not just something to read and kind of think about. It's something to read and cause us to do something with it. He does the same thing at the end of chapter 4. After he tells them about what it means to die in Christ, to, be, to, to die covered in the blood of Christ, and know that in the judgment day you will be resurrected, gathered together with the saints to go and to be with the Lord forever in heaven. He tells them, comfort one another with these words. And after telling them here, after telling them here what it means to be a son of light, to have received the word of God, to have taken it as, the, as what it truly is, the Word that has the power to save, to be prepared people, we need to take that and we need to encourage one another and build up one another just as they were also already doing. He says you continue that. And we would take what he says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and say we could excel still more at that as well. He wants us to encourage each other. What he's telling them is this. You are sons of light. Sons of light live in the knowledge that God has chosen you. Christ's death was paid for you. And an eternal, eternal inheritance in heaven has been provided for you. That's what makes you a son of light. And being a son of light shapes the way you see yourself. And being a son of light shapes the way that you see others. You see, I can't, as a son of light, I can't have an attitude that says, you know, I, I really don't care for brother so-and-so. I, I don't like the way they, they dress. I don't like the car they drive. I don't like the way they talk. I just kind of hope I don't have to see them. I'm going to kind of try to avoid them. Or I don't like sister so-and-so. I hope she doesn't talk to me. She just always tells the same story over and over again, and she's long-winded, and I just, I really don't care for sister so-and-so. He says, sons of light behave differently than the world. We are children of light, and we need to be active in encouraging one another and in building one another up. And I love how the Hebrew author talks about that as he talks about the, the assembling of ourselves together. He tells them not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but he says you are to come together with a purpose. When you come together, it's to build one another up. When you come together, it's to encourage one another. It's to push one another on the love and the good works. And so when people ask you, why do you go? Why do you go to church services on Sundays and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights? Why does it seem like you're constantly going to church? The, the, the one that I get asked all the time is on vacation. You're on vacation. Now why, why are you going to a worship service on vacation? The answer, because I'm a son of light. It's what we do. This is who we are. We are people that encourage one another. We are people that look to each other and say, I need help. And I bet you do too. 
And I want you in heaven, and I want you in heaven, and I want to be in heaven, so we're going to work together to make sure we are prepared. And so the question we ask ourselves at the end of verse 11, chapter 5, the question that I ask myself and that I ponder upon in my studies, and I hope you will think about as well, is what does my life say about whether or not I'm a son of light? Is my life marked by a life of sobriety? Do I live in control of my mind? Or is my mind controlled by worldly things, corrupt things, vain, worthless, waste of time things? Do I live in sobriety? Do I live as if I'm ready for the return of Christ? Do I live as if I'm preparing for that day? Have I put on the armor of God as he talks about here? Preparing for the battle by putting on faith and love and hope. And I want you to remember, I want you to remember what that means. He brings up faith, love, and hope in that order. And think about in chapter 1 what he tells them. That he constantly bears them in mind, their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. Faith, love, and hope are tied to our work in the Lord because we have faith that He is returning. We have faith that He will do what He has said that He will do. And so we're going to work hard, not just to be pleasing to Him, but to save others from, from His adversary that desires them to be punished eternally. And we're going to toil and labor in that. It's going to be hard, but we're not going to give up because we love one another and we love those in the world that we want to draw out of that. And we love God. And we have hope. And we have patience. And we have steadfastness. Because we fully expect that what God has said, He will do. Does our life show that we're prepared for that kind of battle? Does our life show that we're encouragers? I think of, uh, of Barnabas. I think of Barnabas when I think of encouragement. He, his life in some way shown that he was an encourager, so much so that they changed his name to Barnabas, son of encouragement. encouragement. Does my life show that I want to encourage my brethren, that I'm committed to Christ? Does my life show that I want to encourage others that they can be committed to Christ as well? What Paul does in 1 Thessalonians is he causes us to stop and look at ourselves and put ourselves into two categories. And only two. Am I a son of light? Am I a son of the day? Or am I a son of the night? Am I a son of darkness? And then he gives us the most powerful statement, I believe, in this section. And that is, no matter where we are, we need to remember... God has not destined us for wrath. God does not desire that for us. Does that mean that God will not judge the wicked? Does that mean that God does not have wrath? No. He most certainly does. God has wrath and His wrath will be poured out in, in zealous fury upon those who do not know Him and those who have not followed in His Son. But what Paul is letting us know is there's still hope when there's still, as long as there's still time. And we have time today to do as the Thessalonians did. The Thessalonians heard the message of Jesus Christ. 
They heard that He had died for them, that He had been buried and He had been resurrected because of the sins that they had committed. He took those upon Him at the cross and He stands ready to be the sacrifice, the offering for our sins today. And when we will, when we will place our trust in Him, our faith in that sacrifice, faith that enables us to follow Him, faith that enables us to be buried with Him in baptism, faith that enables us to come up from that baptism and live a new life, a changed life as a son of light, then we can be living up to our destiny, our true destiny, which is to obtain that salvation through our Lord and Savior. If you have not done that today, we would love to assist you with that. We would love to talk more about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what He has done and how you can follow Him. If you have already done those things today, what I say is, excel still more. We have not yet obtained it. And we're going to talk more about that this afternoon, about obtaining it. But for now, what can we do to help? What can we do to help you with your walk with the Lord? That is our desire here as the Lake Street Church of Christ. And in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. And as we sing that, if there's something that we can do to help you begin your walk with Christ or help you to continue it, maybe you have fallen away in some way, stumbled in your walk, and you would like to return away from that and turn back to Christ and recommit yourself to Him, that's our desires to help you to do this. So won't you please come forward and let it be known as we stand and sing this song of invitation.